This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account in Indiana, New Jersey, Tennessee, or Virginia and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $500. And for new accounts in Colorado and Michigan, that risk-free first bet is up to $1,000. That's right, if you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started... All you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now, let's start the show. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by WinBet. This is the week zero betting preview. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson. Ready to talk some minor nation? Picks up. Some FCS and recap uh, our favorite uh, win totals and futures. I couldn't be more excited. You're in an Illinois t-shirt, which is going to bring out all this Brett Bielema love out of me. I've got a Nebraska helmet behind me where our own Brett McMurphy, uh, you know, put some news down uh, that forced Trev Alberts and Scott Frost to have probably the most cringe-worthy press conference I've ever seen in my entire life. I've got a UTEP helmet behind me because we love them so much. I'm positive they're going to go over their season win total. Week zero, and we haven't even talked about UCLA yet. Week zero, I mean, we're just getting just a little slice of cake of how wonderful I think this college football season is going to be. Oh, thank you. That's exactly the response I'm looking for. Yeah, there's only four games plus a couple FCS games, which we will touch on. Uh, We will also, as I mentioned earlier, spend some time recapping our favorite futures and win totals. We'll just run down quickly each conference and – just reel off some of our favorite ones for you. We will also now catch up with now our colleague. Very exciting news if you haven't heard, Brett McMurphy. I I would say the most well-known and my favorite college football reporter in all of the land joined the Action Network full-time. If you recall, in one of the previews, if you listen to one of our previews, by the way, we have a group of five, preview pac 12 every for every conference out there if you haven't listened and want to catch up on the teams all those episodes are out there big bets on campus podcast wherever you listen to your podcast but when we had him on 
one of the first episodes, he said, I hope you have me on more than once. Well, we're going to have him on many times because he's now a colleague and uh, excited to have you on. I am a man of my word. Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. McMurphy. So instead of like a one year stand, does that mean like we're dating now? Are we getting serious? Is that what you're telling me? We are going steady. I, used to say, I, remember, I remember that back in like uh, Saved by the Bell watching that. Are, are, they, are, they going, are they going steady now? But no, very happy to have you here. If you don't follow Brett on Twitter, make sure you do for all of the breaking news. Let's catch me up first and, and our listeners. What is the latest on, like I'm at the point where I'm so involved and just doing so much with getting ready for the season that I just don't have time to pay attention with what's going on with this alliance of the big, the big 10 and the, the, I, I, in the PAC 12. And there was just some meeting where I didn't think I was like, what, what, the, what is happening? Can you catch us up on what's going on there? Becky, you didn't miss anything. I'm being serious. I don't know what, what the hell they're doing. They had a press conference. They didn't provide any concrete details. They say they want to do future scheduling. They could have done that without an alliance. Basically, this is a, a shot at the SEC. And, you know, look, I know people in all those conferences at all those schools. I respect them. I think they're really smart people. But everyone I talked to inside and outside of those three conferences said, why in the world do you have a press conference when you have no concrete details? And oh, by the way, they're all hypocritical. Because if Oklahoma and Texas would have knocked on Kevin Warren's door to go to the Big Ten or Jim Phillips to go to the ACC, they all would have said, absolutely, let's do it. But they're acting like they're doing this for the good of college football, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, you did not miss anything. It's it's basically a power play on their end. But all it does, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's, they're trying to show that they're more powerful than the SEC. I think they're doing the opposite. They're showing that the SEC by itself is as powerful as three conferences. They're not going to merge together. They're not going to be one conference. Will we see future games between some of these conference members? Absolutely, but you don't need to be in an alliance to do that. So that's basically it in a nutshell. I thought I missed anything, so I'm happy. Okay, Tom. I'll let everybody listen to the favorites. I know you went on Chad's show, Shameless plug onto Chad's show to talk about the new bowl structure, about how the bowls have just changed so much and the bowl ties that used to be don't really exist anymore. So I think uh, you've been so good at making bowl projections. How are you going to do that this year when ESPN really just kind of pulls names out of a hat uh, to draw TV ratings? And uh, how are you even going to project any of this when there's so many open questions about bowl ties this year? I mean, you're right, Colin. There's 12 bowls that basically ESPN will determine from the five group of five conferences who goes to those games. So you can't automatically say, Hey, we're going to have a Mac team in this game against, against conference USA. We literally don't know. So look, I they did it for two reasons. One, it, it provides them more flexibility over the five-year period of the current bowl contract. That makes a lot of sense. The number two reason they did it, and I think actually it's the number one reason, because they want to they lower my accuracy percentage in projecting bowl projections. <laughs> so they did it just to screw me. But I'll find a way, somehow, some way to get these things lined up when we get to December. I think they're just trying to stop all the bitching with the damn pinstripe bowl because everybody's upset that they don't in the ACC when they get hopped over and picked over and somebody goes to the pinstripe bowl and somebody else has to go to the quick lane bowl. That happens in every – there's a bowl in every conference where <laughs> privately they're like, we don't want to go to that one. 
Brad, moving on to this regular season, a lot of people are going to have questions about the virus and what happens as far as vaccination rates. And, you know, the Big Ten came out and said if, you know, one team can't play because of COVID and they didn't have a certain vaccination rate, then it's going to be a forfeit. How are you looking at or what is the status of like trying to get team vaccination levels across the country? Any insight there? Yes, Jackie, it's it's a brick wall. It really is. I, I tried it when I was at SEC Media Days in Birmingham last month. They were some coaches would get up there and announce, you know, hey, we're at 70 percent vaccination rate or we're at 80 or whatever the number was. And the ones that didn't say anything, I would talk to different sources at the schools and the conferences. And they're like, sorry, we, we cannot share this information. So I'm afraid if you're trying to get an edge on that, um, good luck. Uh, because they are keeping that tight to the vest because you're right. Um, you know, if, if you know that a team's going to have a lot of, a lot of players out, certainly that would be an advantage. But the one difference this year compared with last year, if a team can't play because of COVID, like you mentioned, and this is the, this is the rule for all the power leagues. And I'm sure the, the group of five also, you you forfeit the game. It's a loss in the standings. The ACC though, if both teams cannot play because of COVID, it's a no contest as far as the standings. So as far as any any bets that anybody has, it's going to be, a, you're not going to win your bet if there's a no, if there's not a game played. Um, obviously, how will that impact win totals and all that? I'm, read the fine print. I'm sure it says you got to play all 12 games or whatever the number, unless you're playing conference totals. But there is the incentive now that if you want to go to the playoff, if you want to compete for your conference championship, you better have your team completely vaccinated. And Mississippi's a great example. And I, you know, I'm absolutely do not care about what anybody's political affiliations are, but this, these are the facts. The state of Mississippi has under 40% or 30%, the entire population has been vaccinated. The Ole Miss football program has a 100% vaccination rate. And because that's how important it is to Lane Kiffin to make sure that they can play every game. I think you're going to see a lot more schools do that. And there's even some schools, Ohio State, the latest, saying that you can't even attend school if you're not vaccinated. So, Stucky, hopefully we're not going to see cancellations this year um, because of that, because last year it was it was such a cluster and there were so many moving parts and it just became accepted. If you can't play, oh, that's OK. We'll reschedule you later in the year. That is not happening this season. Better believe if Ohio, if Ohio State has an outbreak and can't play, the other team <laughs> has an outbreak as well, even if they don't. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, I think he hit the nail on the head. You're going to lose TV revenue if your team is the one that has to cause the forfeit. I mean, that is a sin of enough for all these teams to get their houses in order. And not to pick on this team, even though you're on the podcast, not to pick on these guys, but as I'm doing research on Nebraska-Illinois, it seems like I can't get a clear answer out of the Cornhuskers for whether it's Trev Albert's statements or Scott Frost's statements that we're going to have COVID information soon. This comes after a report in late July where Scott Frost said they were below 60%. So would you think at this point that it's just a, a public relations nightmare if we haven't heard about COVID rates or is it just, you know, there actually are problems and we don't know about them yet? There could be problems, and I'm not I'm not picking on Nebraska specifically. There could be problems and we don't know about it. I mean, Auburn coach Brian Harson you know, tested positive for COVID just the other day. Now, he hasn't said if he's vaccinated or not. You can test positive, and if you are vaccinated, that can happen. But again, 
believe me, the first team that has to forfeit because of COVID is going to get 0.0% sympathy from anybody about this because they've been beaten over the head by everybody in their conference, by people nationally, that if you want to play, you can't have COVID. That's, that's the way it works. And basically because of the contact tracing and all that. So you've hit on something. It will be a PR nightmare, the first team that has to cancel. And you mentioned the SEC. Sources told me they are considering this is something no other conference has done. They haven't decided yet. They are considering if a school has to forfeit a game because of COVID reasons, they would be actually fined financially to have to compensate for some of the lost TV revenue they're going to get from not being able to televise that game. No other conference is doing that. All right, Brett, we're, we're not going to keep you too long because we're going to have you on so often this year. But before we get you out of here, this is our week zero betting preview and you know favorite preseason bets recap. The people are demanding that you throw out one of uh, your favorite bets. Could be a future, could be a win total, could be anything, could be a homer bet. You got anything for the people? <laughs> so that's plural, more than one. I'm impressed. Uh, the people want it. The people get it. Uh, the Utah Utes, uh, plus 550 to win the Pac-12. Did you say Utes? Yeah, Utes. Their toughest road games at USC. They're, they're off the week before that game. They get Oregon at home. Charlie Brewer, an upgrade at quarterback compared with last year. And I like the Utes. Kyle Whittingham plays a phys- physical style of offense. They've got those huge defensive linemen that you usually only see in the SEC. So I'm going with uh, the Utes. Collins over here celebrating, so he agrees. Um, That's his pick. I'm hoping it's Arizona State. But we do think it's going to be one of the teams from that division. So uh, good stuff there, Brett. We will have you on all season on the podcast. Very happy to have you here as uh, part of the Action Network family. Thanks for joining us, and we'll speak soon. Looking forward to it. All right, Con, before we dive into week zero, back to that vaccination thing. The podcast is brought to you by WinBet. Now, I'll tell you what, I've been keeping track just, it's a very difficult thing to do, but the teams that I find out that are like 95, 100% that, that do report it, because you don't have to, then I'm like, okay, they're not at risk now. But the one, you know, when you get a report that someone's 60, 70%, you don't know if it's outdated. You could get a report, and then two days later, you know, you have 30 kids go get, their second shot. You don't know any of this. There's no transparency, but at least you, you know, for some teams, you're like, okay, they're hundred percent vaccinated. Then, you know, you can say, all right, I'm crossing them off the list of, of a lower risk of having, you know, a game potentially postponed from a win total perspective, always check your book to see how they're handling. If their game does get forfeited or no contested, what, what is WinBet doing? Yeah. I talked to WinBet today and, and they're just saying that the ticket will say you have to play 12 games for your for your win total to count for you to cash it. Now, if you don't play 12 games, you take that ticket back and it's considered a push and you'll get your money back. That's huge. I mean, that's the best case scenario that you can hope for because there have been a ton of books and I've been, I've lost money because of this, not because of COVID, but back in the days of hurricanes canceling games and then your over ticket or your under ticket, uh, doesn't get canceled. It just plays out. So uh, it's really big by win bet to say, you know, you have to play uh, 12 games, which kind of leaves open interpretation. Last year we saw BYU and Coastal Carolina play a game on the fly. And you have to wonder, like, even if a team forfeits, how quickly can they put a game together? Is is UMass available? Is an FCS team available? So uh, but win bets rules are uh, if you play 12 games, that ticket is live. Yeah, as you, you said, the, uh, the day's 
of hurricanes. Remember those days, the good old days when we only had to worry about <laughs> hurricanes and not uh, global viruses. So let's get to actual games. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting. I mean, it's the excitement in the air uh, is I can feel it. I'm just about to say a line in a game that's going to take place in a couple of days and we're going to talk about it. This is why you all come here and um, why we have been doing this for five years. Um, we love it. It's just a little teaser. There's only four FBS versus FBS matchups, but it's nice to talk college football again. Let's start with the first game on Saturday. It's a conference matchup. Probably the marquee game of the day. Nebraska at Illinois. Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. At Wimbet. Nebraska's a seven-point favorite. Total sitting at 55. The past two seasons... Nebraska didn't look too good against Illinois. They escaped with a 42 to 38 win two years ago. And again, they out, they outgained Illinois by, I think like 350 yards last year, double digit favorite disastrous start special teams, then a turnover and then just never led Illinois, never looked back and pretty much dominated the game. And that, you know, that game last year kind of summed up this, Scott Frost there. He's gone on year four, but just mental mistakes, penalties, turnovers. In those two games against Illinois, they turned the ball over nine times last year. They only forced one turnover. You know, so it's there's just you know special teams blunders. So Nebraska sitting at seven point favorite here on the road. It is the start of the Brett Bielema era in Illinois. You know that he wants to have a power rushing attack. Got some talent on the offensive line. Brandon Peters back. At quarterback, some questions at receiver. Nebraska, I think their defense is going to be the strongest part of their team. Uh, Adrian Martinez is back at quarterback, but he loses his best receiver in Wondell Robinson. Major questions on the offensive line, where it looks like two freshman tackles and a freshman guard will start. Turmoil with Nebraska. It's a very intriguing first game to kick off the 2021 season with a Big Ten matchup. What do you see here? Well, I think I'm going to start off field and then I'll go, you know, into the X's and O's and on the field and then talk about if there's any value in the market. I think there is value in the market, but, you know, we'll have to kind of dive deep into this. And listen, it all starts with Brett's story about the violations that Nebraska was under. And I think what that did is it exposed the relationship between Trev Alberts, the, the new athletic director, and Scott Frost. If you haven't seen the video, it's just it's cringeworthy. Scott Frost is uh, uh, he looks very much like he doesn't want to be there, like a a, a, per, a child that's been scolded in the principal's office. Trev Alberts is very looking very politician-like. Scott and I wanted to just uh, spend a couple minutes with you. There is an NCAA investigation. Our coaches, including Coach Frost, have done a great job uh, and have been very accessible in working with the NCAA. So this is an ongoing investigation, obviously. And the key line from the entire press conference was Trev saying, this predates my hire. Today, I, I, uh, does it predate your arrival? I assume it does predate my arrival. Were you aware? Why did you? I became aware of it after I started. Um, that's not a good thing to be standing next to your boss and hear something like that going on. I think the relationship between the two, uh, not to say frosty with Scott Frost, but Scott Frost was quoted as saying a couple of weeks ago that I feel like the Charlie Daniels band. I used to be a pretty big thing. And now I'm just playing county fairs. 
<laughs> the mindset of Scott Frost is not the same guy that was undefeated in Central Florida. So, you know, off the field, there are things like this happening. And, it, you know, I think it's very important for, you know, everybody to, to, to realize that not only is that going on with Scott Frost, but also the COVID thing. They will not give up what's going on with their COVID numbers. They announced at the end of July that they weren't, uh, they were under 60%. I keep that in the back of my mind. You know, Illinois is good to go from a COVID standpoint. I think Bielema said he only has one player on the travel roster that's not vaccinated. They're all good to go. But staying on the the Nebraska side, as I get a little bit closer to the field, Scott Frost wanted Big Ten refs on the field throughout practice. He's had them there every other day. And just two days ago, one week ago, Nebraska scrimmage, the Big Ten officials were there. Scott Frost afterwards said, I was frustrated today. Too many flags on the ground, too many mistakes. There's just, you know, there's a flag on every single play. And I think if you're also, you know, we're getting into the game plan here. They're looking for a way for somebody to run the ball on offense that is not Adrian Martinez. Adrian Martinez has been a fumble machine, and they're looking for somebody out of this backfield, whether it's. Marquis Step, a transfer in from USC, you know, but ultimately Martinez is their best weapon and also the reason why they lose some games. In three previous games against Illinois, he's had a 68% completion rate. He's gone for 661 yards, three TDs through the air, 200 on the ground, but he's fumbled a handful of times. He's had interceptions and, and he seems to do this all the time. And now at this point, after three years, he's had 32 career fumbles. So when you lay a bet on Nebraska, you're really crossing your fingers that Adrian Martinez is not going to fumble the ball because Stuck's right. The defense here is excellent for Nebraska. This is what's going to hold the team up, front seven, back seven. Uh, I have no problems from a Nebraska point of view. It really just comes down to undisciplined flags, Adrian Martinez and fumbles. None of that has seemed to go away, and the Scott Frost game plan is just not working. More of the same. I like the Nebraska linebackers. They have a lot of talent at that position. You know, there's this defense has the potential to kind of remind you at times of the of the black shirts if everything comes together. Uh, Taylor Britt is an excellent lockdown corner. They have two super seniors at safeties, but the, the secondary I don't think is really going to come into play here. I mean, it's a big mismatch. I mean, Illinois, their receiving core is uh, leaves a lot to be desired. They moved Isaiah Williams out to receiver, their quarterback from last year. It's just not going to be. Look, they're going to use a lot of two tight end sets. They're going to try to run the ball. You know, the thing that keeps – I keep going back to Nebraska does need – they need to force more turnovers. They're minus 15 turnover margin last year. And part of that is they turn it over too much, and they're also not forcing turnovers, and their defensive their defensive line isn't getting into the backfield. But from a run defense perspective, they should match up pretty well here. But I just can't get out of my head that game last year. Illinois won 41-23. This Illinois offense was bad last year. Bad. Mm-hmm. And they ran the ball 52 times for 285 yards. Five and a half yards per rush. So is that and, – and Nebraska turned it over five times. Illinois didn't turn it over at all. Is that going to to change? You expect a better effort from the Nebraska d- defense here? Because I think – I personally think I'll let you get into Illinois. Look, the Nebraska – I have questions about the Nebraska offensive line. You know, their receivers without Wondell Robinson. There's some talent, but it's unproven. Adrian Martinez, he's very inconsistent. So, and I know the Illinois defense has been trash, but there, I think that the scheme is actually going to benefit them. The scheme change, you know, they were running just such basic. I've said this many times, four, three, you know, cover two, just so basic and just always out of position under Lovey Smith. So I think the scheme change, they're going to be a little bit better. So I, I tend to think that 
they can slow down Nebraska here, and a lot of it's going to be Nebraska slowing down themselves. And then Illinois, are they going to be able to run it? I think Nebraska on paper should be able to slow Illinois down. That game just last year scares me. So on paper, I, I from a matchup perspective, my first look was the under here, but go ahead. Where, where else you want to go here? Yeah, that's where we're. That's exactly where I was heading when we got to the Illinois side of the ball because Bielema has been very tight-lipped about what direction he wants to go. He said that it's in my best interest, our best interest, to stay neutral when it comes to who's going to be the starter. We know that it's going to be a run-based attack, whether that's Chase Brown or Chase Hayden. It's going to be Chase Brown, but then there's a lit. There's just a line of you know backs behind him that they want to get into the game. This is going to be a run-first attack, especially with the hires and the hire of Peterson of offensive coordinator. He was at Appalachian State last year. Uh, he that you know they were also a heavy run attack, so you can expect to see first, second, third down uh, completely be runs. What's interesting about Illinois is I go back to one of their worst stats last year, which is they were 113th in offensive finishing drives. Just Lovey Smith had nothing once they got past the 20-yard line, and if I go back to my Arkansas days. I can remember Brett Bielema hiking the ball to offensive linemen and having offensive linemen throw touchdown passes to other offensive linemen. Brett Bielema does have a bag of tricks. There's a little bit of less miles in that play calling when it gets down around the red zone. So I think that that number with Illinois and finishing drives is going to come up because he's just more creative. Uh, He's just going to find different ways to try to get some scores across, but it's still going to be a very slow paced offense, which is kind of how I expect Nebraska. I think Nebraska is going to be all run first. I think Nebraska is going to run the ball all day until they find out who their lead running back is going to be. You know, Brandon Peters, even though he is the starting quarterback, it's the only thing Brett Bielema will let on. How much is he going to throw in this? We do know that Illinois gets Doug Kramer back. He should be playing at the NFL level next year. He's the center. Uh, he's healthy. First game of the season. They, thankfully, he's healthy. They have a senior right tackle. He was the highest graded offensive lineman when it came to pass protection uh, for Illinois last year. So that's something good for Bielema. If he needs to pass and uh, gets you know down a distance, dictates that. So when I looked at the side stuff, you know, it's a game that I made Nebraska minus six. So it's really teetering right there. But the total, if I was going to make the total based upon what we saw last year, it would have been 49 and a half. So now you have to ask questions. Has anything changed with Nebraska and Illinois that would make me want to change that projection of 49 and a half? All these players are back. I mean, every team, all the players are back. So there's no hurt. And like saying, well, this was my total at the end of last year. What's changed? Well, let me tell you what's changed. You now have an extra run-based attack out of Brett Bielema with the same players on both sides of the ball. So the number is up around, I think it opened 57 and a half a few weeks ago, uh, teetering down around 55. There's some 54 and a half bet, win bet right now at 55. Uh, you know, both teams are adamant about establishing the rush. Uh, both of them need answers. Uh, offensive finishing drives these teams last year. Uh, atrocious 91st for Nebraska 113th for Illinois could be some improvement for Illinois we'll see but still I mean uh, you know this game is going to be I think the one thing that really sold me on this and I put my bet down I got into the Action Network app was under 55 is that for some reason Bielema decided this week that he was going to practice all his kids late at night and not in the heat and I'm not saying that 80 degrees is hot but this game is being played in the middle of the day, in the middle of the sun, and Brett Bielema has decided to practice his kids at night because his next two games are at night. Uh, and he thought that that would be better, you know, prepare them for the weeks to come. So they're going to be playing, you know, and, and some temperatures above 80 degrees. There's going to be crosswind in this game. Now, Nebraska has a fine kicker. Illinois doesn't have any kind of kicking whatsoever. So 10 mile an hour 
crosswinds, uh, cross orientation winds that are going to go across the stadium. Special teams can help us out here. Uh, could be settling for field goals. I just don't see a lot of points being scored after the 40 yard line. Uh, I, I don't, Nebraska is dead set on pounding the ball and, and finding someone to run it other than Adrian Martinez. I like the under here. I think it's going to be a very slow paced game. Yeah. I remember Bielamont used to say he'd like hate, he loved playing fast paced teams because they just, they get so frustrated with how slow he wants to play and he hates being fast paced because it increases the risk to injury. So I agree with you. The only thing that gets scary here is turnovers, but Mm-hmm. You know, those are hard to predict, and they also could help you, um, you know, if you get turnovers F, you know, late in a drive on the other side of the field, they could end up helping you. But, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a slower type of game. And I think both defenses on paper match up well. The only thing that scares me is just how bad Nebraska was against Illinois running the ball last year. <laughs> but, yeah. You and I could be sweating this under because the Illinois defense can't stop a nosebleed at the end, right? I mean, that's that's really what this comes down to. But if they improve from last year, we should get this under. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I make it six as well. So, you know, if it says I think there's value on the under. If this thing gets up to like seven and a half, eight, I think that the look, it's either Illinois from a side perspective or nothing. But that was my look as well on the under. All right, our second game on CBS Sports Network at 2 p.m. Eastern. Nebraska, Illinois, by the way, is at 1 p.m. on Fox. Fresno State, a 27-and-a-half-point favorite over UConn. UConn is a U- new UMass. UMass is still the same UMass, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, excited to have UConn back, which didn't play last year and didn't play in the spring. Justin from Reading. Yo, stuck. If I listen to you one more time on anything involving UConn, I'm coming after you. Take it easy. Fresno, 27.5-point favorite. They have Oregon next week. Total sitting at 63. I can't bet this game. I think I made it 29.5, but I'm guessing when it comes to UConn. I'm interested just to watch this game. It's going to really inform me not only about the teams who haven't played, just the teams who only played a couple games last year or, like, were just crushed by injuries and and COVID last year. But we've never seen, you know, a team who didn't play last year at all like we're going to see with old dominion as well like what what does that mean does it does it help were they able to just you know stay in one place and build continuity they didn't get live action though so does it hurt in that sense i mean who what do these players look like how much bigger and faster and stronger are they after after a year break so we know uconn's not a very good team oh no we suck again you know they have a decent running back and uh you know there's not many nice things i can say about (laughs) uconn But this is a pure stay away for me. I, I even if I if I, if I showed, you know, I made it twenty nine and a half. Even if I was if I made it like 31, 32, I wouldn't trust my numbers enough to really bet this because of the uncertainty surrounding UConn. We've just never seen a team not play. So this is a, just a pure. Let me take a look and see what happens. And I know it's only going to be one data point, but you got to start somewhere for these teams who haven't played. Um, and it's just going to be a, a story that we're going to have to build over the first few weeks. What do we do about, you know, it's the question of the offseason. How do you handle priors last year? Well, this is the most extreme case. We're going to learn more and more with each game. So I'm sitting on the sidelines for this one. I mean, maybe I'll see something and jump in in the second half, but this is a no play from a pregame position for me. How about you? 
I love how sweet and nice you are. You can tell it's week zero. Like you haven't been roughed up by a few bad beats because usually by October, you and I are cussing out teams like UConn, but right now you're just being, you're just being sweet and sitting back and, until you get burned by it. But you know, really UConn has not played in forever. Uh, and what happened when New Mexico state decided to play after some 400 days against Tarleton state and Dixie state, we'll get to that. It didn't go very well. Uh, And, you know, this is a trip where Connecticut is going to go all the way out to California. And uh, this is the Fresno State team that uh, has a very good coach. And I believe that they underperformed last year. And now that they get all of these players back, more importantly, 78% on the offensive side of the ball, 80% according to Tarp on the defensive side of the ball. Jake Hayner, a quarterback, uh, say what you want about what he did at Washington. He's still got a ton of, you know, game experience against power five teams. And then Ronnie Rivers, Probably the best running back in the Mountain West. I mean, there, there's the, there's not many that are built like him when it comes to the group of five level. The Bulldogs are expected to have the best running back and wide receiver unit in the Mountain West this year. And UConn secondary is full of fresh faces. Just Diamond Harrell is the only one that's coming back from the 2019 season. He only had three pass breakups that year. So it is as green as possibly could be. Defensively, Fresno had a havoc rank last year of 23rd in the country. They return all of that, except for maybe like a couple of sacks. Uh, they return almost every single player from the defense. 15 of the top 16 tacklers return. UConn has just two offensive linemen returning from 2019. So when we're talking about green faces in the secondary uh, that have never seen playing time for UConn, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, the offensive line only has two starters from 2019. They have a bunch of new faces there. They were outside the top 75 and sacks allowed in 2019. So not really sure what we're getting back. There is going to be a two quarterback system. We're going to get Jack uh, Zergiotis uh, played in 2019. Steven Krajewski played uh, 2019. They're both going to get the call. They, they combined for 13 big time throws, but 21 turnover worthy plays. Not the ratio you're really looking for for stability. Zergi Otis uh, had 293 dropbacks, and, and he certainly has the edge and experience. Uh, Krajewski didn't. I don't think he got over 100. So you're talking about running back Kevin uh, Mensah. He had over 1,000 yards. He created 38 missed tackles, but it was it, it took him 225 attempts. So it's not like he's Travis Etienne running around out there. He had 14 runs over 15-plus yards. More of a downhill runner. Uh, so, I mean, if that can get stopped, listen, Fresno has a solid front seven for Mountain West Conference play. Uh, the Bulldogs were fourth in opponent passing success rate last year, and they were third in sack rate. So where Fresno really excels is in passing downs. And I think they're not going to have a problem getting Kevin Minsa, like getting some stops and getting some chains, which is what you really need to look for in the Fresno defense. It's the pass defense. It's actually pretty ferocious. They were really good last year. Uh, UConn's covered just once in their last seven season openers. Edsel's been there for most of those. Uh, doesn't seem like they've really been prepared for some of these games. Really big edge for Fresno uh, when it comes to explosive players, especially on the outside, especially when it comes to the edge position and getting to the quarterback. Is the first half worth a play on Fresno? That is what I've been debating because Fresno has to pack up and go to Eugene after this. So as badly as I'd like to play Fresno, I make it minus 25, minus 27, a little bit too high for me. First half as a consideration because Oregon is following up. I I think Fresno State is fantastic, but what are we going to put on tape before we go and play the Ducks? Uh, So, you know, possibility I could play Fresno in the first half, but what I really played was the over. And the experience that UConn has in the secondary, I don't see it. I know Jake Hayner can throw it deep. I know he's got explosive wide receivers. Uh, And I think Fresno really takes their foot off the gas, gets prepared for Oregon, 
And UConn's not going to stop. This team has not played in two years. It's not like it's going to be the third or fourth quarter and they're going to be swapping in their third and fourth teams. UConn is still going to be playing in the fourth quarter. I took a, a small play, not a full unit, I took a half unit over 62 and a half. I would play the over 63. I'd probably stop right there. But I think Fresno is going to make a statement with some of the skill position players they have. Uh, and I think UConn is going to play until the very last snap in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some things to, by the way, Fresno does have a very good receiving core. I mean, Cropper, Kelly all come back. They had a, a receiver from Washington, but not the best. Please do not disrespect my Nevada Wolf back. Oh. But yeah, I like their front their front seven. They have some new intriguing linebackers that they bring in, but their defensive line is really a strength. They have three uh, all-conference honorees, uh, you know, Jones, Perales, and Atkins, and then they also bring in Mos- Mosby back, who might start. So I, I like their defense. They do get after the quarterback. The offensive line brings back everybody, but it's all shaken up. There's all new starters. They're all in different positions. So that might actually be a good thing because they gave up a, way too many sacks last year. Uh, but if you look at what Fresno did last year in DeVore's first year, I think it was really impressive considering the circumstances. Yeah, COVID, blah, blah, blah. But they had no in-person activities from March 12th to September 25th. Mm-hmm. None. They were implementing a new 425 defense. They had a new quarterback in Jay Kanner who really started to come on at the end of the year. So there's a, a lot of signs where you would say, okay, Fresno should, I think they're, they're top, you know, they, most of their top tacklers return. So it's, there's a lot of things that you would say, okay, Fresno is going to continue this upswing from a win total perspective. The problem is their schedule is brutal. Um, but yeah, I, I think this, this program is on the upswing. I just don't know how to project. UConn, I can see a second half play on Connecticut because, you know, if Fresno State with Oregon on deck is just rolling, they have a brutal schedule. Like they need to just stay healthy. And um, so I could see them taking their foot off their gas and UConn going. I just need to see some competence. That's it from UConn in the first half. Yeah. And I think to drive home the over point, the one that really kind of sold me on this is that Kalen DeBoer's first year at Fresno State, they finished 37th in seconds per play. They were a tempo offense. And if you go back and look at what UConn was under Randy Edsel, when he got back there in 2017, they were top 25 in adjusted pace. They like to go tempo too. So that was a big point of me in taking the over is that, you know, with all those things that you just said, these teams are going to, these teams are going to get up to the line of scrimmage and get the ball hiked well before the play clock is even close to expiring. Yep. Make sure you check out the Action Network app if you're one of the seven people in the world that doesn't already have it and actionnetwork.com for write-ups all season long and for this weekend. We'll have just a ton of stuff coming out and our team is constantly growing and uh, I love a lot of our new additions. So I think you will too. All right, let's move on to the third game of the day. Between Hawaii and UCLA, this game is 3.30 Eastern on ESPN. UCLA at win bets an 18-point favorite. Total sitting at 68. Hawaii, a very interesting team this year. I mean, number one, they're, keep in mind, I think they have seven road games, which is a school record. And obviously, road games are major for Hawaii with the travel. And then at home, they're playing in a nine. I don't know if many people know this, but their Aloha Stadium is gone. It's no more. They're playing in a 9,000 retrofitted campus stadium. So they're going to be playing on campus for the first time. That'll be interesting to uh, watch late night. Um, but Hawaii actually, you know, they bring back Cordero quarterback. And this is the second year of Todd Graham. You know, he transitioned them from the run and shoot to the run and gun. It's more use of the tight end and running back routes. Love Calvin Turner. He's just a 
Swiss Army knife that could do so many things, special teams, wide receiver, running back. You can use him in so many different ways. And he's going to play in the NFL one day and be used as a very versatile piece. When you look at this Hawaii team, they had a pretty good year, considering it was the first year of Todd Graham. I like some of their pieces in the secondary. It's actually a really good pass defense, although some of their numbers were skewed. There, there's some talent in the secondary. You know, Cortez Davis is a stud. You know, UG Ford's back from injury as well. But their run D was so bad that you didn't really have to pass on them. So that's my concern here. You know, I know that you're going to gush over UCLA. Expectations are really high, the highest they've been for Chip Kelly during his time at Westwood. You have DTR back, you know, the offensive line finally looks competent. There's some promise on a very experienced defense where it should be improved on the back end. We know they can get after the quarterback. The question for me, and this line, by the way, opened at nine a couple places and is all the way up to 18. The question for me is, number one, what does UCLA want to show and how much do they – want to keep how long do they want to keep their starters and if this gets out of hand because they have LSU on deck. So LSU comes in next week. How so how much do they want to show? And then if they don't want to show anything, what what I start how I started to think about it is, you know, they have two, you know, they lost their starting running back, but they have two um new backs, one transferred from Michigan, one from Duke, who are make up a pretty good backfield that I think they're gonna have a lot of success running the ball. If they just decide to go run heavy well, that might work against Hawaii because Hawaii's defensive line is the weakest part of their their defense by far. Um, and so, you know, it, maybe they can – UCLA can just go very basic and they could put up a lot of points. And Hawaii might not help themselves. You're going to have new offensive coordinator, play caller, Bo Graham, Todd Graham's son. You can expect tempo, 85, 95 plays per game. So if things aren't working or there's be punts, be quick three and outs – so it's a very intriguing game because on one hand, I'm like, all right, maybe UCLA doesn't want to show anything. Maybe I'll look at Hawaii's second half. But if UCLA doesn't want to show anything, maybe they're just able to just run it up and down the field against this bad, bad Hawaii run defense. What do you see here? That's exactly what I think is going to happen. I'll start off by saying RIP to Robert Kikula, my favorite announcer of any college football game, uh, Hawaii's famous announcer who put many of us to sleep after midnight with some of the best analogies ever. Uh, it's just, it's going to be a shame watching Hawaii football without hearing that voice. They catch the Luzi. Look at him, Joe. He catch him. He puts him deep on it. It's good. My body's good. Oh, my goodness. To get and RIP, RIP Cole Brennan as well. Yeah, Cole Brennan. Gosh, let's enjoy these Hawaii games because they are just such a, a big part of our, our, our betting and our just our whole viewing experience. I love them so much. But the more I dive into this Hawaii team, I, I'm not finding things that are that great. Let me just go real brief on UCLA because I think that's all I've talked about. You know, the Ryan Gunderson experiment is going to start. He's a passing game coordinator for San Jose State. He's now the quarterback coach for UCLA. He is solely in charge of Dorian Thompson Robinson to try to get him to play mistake-free football. He, you know, we, UCLA, get, he gets all his weapons back. His wide receiver, Kyle Phillips, is tight end Greg Dulcich. Uh, you know, the offensive line goes too deep. Uh, Bertain Brown returns in the backfield. He had 16 missed tackles on just 82 attempts last year. And his forte really is not creating missed tackles. It's the fact that he averaged 4.79 yards after contact. He is a hit you and I'm still running kind of running back. UCLA is I loved loaded. him at Duke. I loved him at Duke. I loved at Duke. Him at Duke. Yeah, boy, they could use him. UCLA is loaded on offense. And, uh, you know, the question is always going to be J- Jerry Azanero's defense and, and what they could do. And really, that's kind of 
of the handicap on the side here for the full game is Jerry Azanaro's defense going to be able to stop what Siobhan Cordero is going to do. It's not going to be Bo Graham's uh, play calling. That, that's what I found interesting. Hawaii, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with Hawaii and the coaching staff. They lost G.J. Kinney. Uh, he's now at Central Florida, the, the go-go wrinkle that they were trying to introduce last year. Um, and now they've got problems on both sides of the ball. Uh, defensively, I, I guess maybe the strength is the secondary. Uh, they might be the second best in the Mountain West, but the front seven is just a real problem, uh, especially against the run. Hawaii was 91st in line yards, 81st in opponent success rate. It just doesn't bode well against explosive players like uh, everyone that UCLA has, including Zach Charbonnet, Charbonnet, who got they got from Michigan. You know, I mean, he found the end zone 12 times for them. So Hawaii's defense is really going to struggle, especially against the ground game. Interesting to note on the defensive side of the ball, they were really excited about hiring Victor Santa Cruz as their defensive coordinator. He got demoted down to just defensive ends, and now they have promoted from within the secondary coach, Trent Figg. So he's going to go from the press box down to the sideline, and that's where a little bit of handicap comes in here is the guy calling the defense is no longer getting the view that he has always had. He's now going to be actually on the field. That is definitely a negative in my eyes for Hawaii. Bogram is now the offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, I mean, when you look at his resume, I, I didn't even realize that while Todd Graham was here being the head coach uh, at Tulsa, the city that I live in, his son was uh, the high school coach, the Tulsa Central High School coach uh, in 2006. So there's been a lot of uh, Bogram following his dad around uh, with stops at ASU, some pit in there, a lot of other stuff. But there's no history of play calling here. There is no history of anything, and that leads me to believe this is the Siobhan Cordero show through the air, on the ground, and really, I think it's a pretty good test. If UCLA cannot control what Siobhan Cordero is going to do in passing downs or in scramble situations or in designed runs where Cordero has really proven that he can be you know, a factor in a game, that's going to spell a lot of trouble for the LSU game. Uh, if you see UCLA absolutely dominating Siobhan Cordero, then, yeah, I've got a better feeling about Max Johnson because we've said this about LSU. We have questions in the backfield about who's going to run the ball and that Max Johnson may have to be dual threat. Well, this is a great test for UCLA just to get warmed up, break a sweat, and hopefully they play all four quarters here. Uh, so that's really what I'm watching overall on the game. But as far as this, I, I think UCLA is going to be balls to the wall in the first half and then pull everybody before they get to the UCLA, before they get to the LSU game the following week. There's no reason for Dorian Thompson Robinson to be playing in the second half of this game for any of their starters to be playing in the second half of this game for Chip Kelly to be giving stuff away. And think about it. What does this game come down to? UCLA has explosive playmakers that can do things in space. It's not the play design. It's not like they're going to show you a bag of tricks. They're literally just going to run Hawaii defenders out of their shoes. It's explosive plays that they've had issues with forever. Uh, I, I believe Trent Fig was quoted as saying the biggest problem with Hawaii's defense is that our secondary doesn't make tackles and they turn into touchdowns. That's a real problem against uh, UCLA. So the bet for me is UCLA in the first half. There are minus nine and a halfs out there. Most of the world is sitting on 10. I would take them both. You're going to get the full explosive Chip Kelly experience in the first half. Not sure what's going to happen in the second half. We'll see if they can contain Siobhan Cordero. There could be a backdoor cover here with this hook, but I am very comfortable taking UCLA in the first half. Yeah, the UCLA defense, by the way, I mean, their coordinator has been there for, I think, three or four years, but they brought in Brian Norwood, their defensive backs coach last year. 
and him and the defensive coordinator switched the defense to a 4-2-5. The results were pretty good up front. They were one of the best teams in the nation to get in the backfield, but in the secondary, it was pretty bad. They were 114th versus the pass, 127th in yards per attempt allowed. But everyone comes back. They were playing, you know, more aggressive man on the outside. They moved some defensive backs around, but they bring everyone back. I th- Look, there was just guys running wide open. They were missing assignments with this new defense in a COVID year. I think the secondary is going to be a lot better. And if it is, and, you know, as long as they can find a way to at least partially replace Odegazuma, who might be starting for the Cowboys this year, they lost him, but they bring almost everyone back. They lost him from the defensive line. This defense could be significantly improved. We know they can get after the quarterback. Now can the secondary improve? And I think Norwood has them headed in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't disagree with. Uh, it's all roses early on in the season. Lots of agreement, and um, we're not angry, we're not mad at any teams yet. But uh, I, I, I don't I, disagree with your take there. I know. I know it's a new offensive coordinator with Bo Graham, who has no experiences, versus GJ Kenny, who we actually really like as offensive coordinator last year. But keep in mind that even though we liked Kenny last year as the offensive coordinator, Hawaii was blanked in the first quarter of half their games last year. They start slow every single game. It's. uh, I think Siobhan Cordero is the new Blake Bortles. He's like you know the fourth quarter stat king master, fantasy fantasy football player you want on your roster for fourth quarter garbage time. You've just been Bortled. All right, let's uh, – and by the way, I mean, I, I really do think Hawaii is going to try to run 80. Now, they're going to try to be the fastest team potentially, so that's not going to help them here because they're they're overmatched and they're just they're just giving more possessions away to UCLA. All right, so let's move on to the final FBS matchup on Saturday, the nightcap, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, not on TV. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. An absolute – travesty that it's not on tv utep at new mexico state at WinBet. utep is a 10 point favorite 10 point road favorite over under 58 and a half here's the craziest thing here's how bad new mexico state is i i make utep a 12 12 and a half point favorite here so i like them under 10 i just i didn't know if i wanted to on the first day of college football late late 10 on the road with utep uh because i mean number one it's it's very hard to you know, it's one of those things just from a number perspective. Yeah, normally if I made it 12 and a half, I can get under 10. I'd probably take it. But New Mexico State, I mean, look, they didn't play last year. And then they played in the spring. I mean, it was embarrassing. I mean, they, they beat Dixie State. Great win by seven. They lost 43-17 <laughs> to Tarleton State. And they just got uh, shredded. Tarleton State had 501 yards. New Mexico State's 241 the team that brings back only two starters. This is the worst team in the nation by far. The New Mexico State Aggies, the worst team in college football. I mean, I have UTEP as a 12-point 12, 12 favorite on the road against them. The problem is, I mean, they. to be fair, they were playing a lot of, like, freshmen, second-teamers, third-teamers, but still, this is a program that is in absolute shambles. UTEP should have a pretty good running game. You know, Hardison comes back at quarterback – Cowing and company, there's some good receivers. The defense is meh, but this team should be able to move the ball at will just on the ground against this New Mexico State team. Yeah, I mean, I think there's value in UTEP on the road as a double-digit favorite. Didn't think I'd be saying that uh, against an FBS team, no less, but here we are in 2021. What do you see here? Well, if you go and look at Sager and ratings – you know, where there's a good crossover between FCS and FBS teams. Uh, there are 259 teams, maybe 260. 
Uh, both Dixie State and Tarleton State are outside the top 200. And uh, to consider that New Mexico State struggled with one and lost to the other, what is the takeaway here? Well, you know, New Mexico State's going to field two quarterbacks, Jonah Johnson and Weston uh, Eget. Uh, Johnson was really inefficient in one of the games, uh, three interceptions. He got pulled. Uh, Weston get came in, actually played pretty decent, got hurt. And then Jonah Johnson came back in again, and he finally played a little bit decent. There's just, there's nothing good to find out of this team from what happened in the spring. Uh, there were these two FCS teams went up and down the field on offense, and that's not really a great thing. Now, the thing that kind of pulls me off on it, and I'm right there with you, Stuck. I'm on, you know, UTEP minus 12 on this game. I'm actually kind of kicking myself because I know a group shaped this number. They tried to shape it all the way down to seven. There was a day where it moved from nine and a half all the way down to seven and a half and eight at most shops. There was a group that was trying to shape this number to get a touchdown down on UTEP. And and unfortunately, I, I never saw it flicker seven anywhere. But even though this isn't one of those things where Stucky and I say, yeah, we make the game 12, 12 and a half, 10 is a good number. Well, let's talk about that. UTEP is really slow. Seconds per play, one of the slowest in the nation. And this isn't like now city. Yeah. And this isn't like coastal Carolina where you're almost guaranteed to get it, you know, a minimum of a field goal and almost a touchdown every single time they take, you know, a slow pace all the way to get down the field. So what they do have is quarterback Gavin Hardison. Uh, 14 big-time throws and only 11 turnover-worthy plays. That is a very huge positive for UTEP football. Average depth of target, 12 yards. I mean, he throws. his. That's actually really good when you look at the span of quarterbacks, most average around 7 to 10, and he's at 12 yards for average depth. You know, UTEP returns the entire offensive line. Uh, Most of their numbers were outside the top 100, but there are signs of life in this UTEP program, which is why we like them. Dana Dimmel's team finished 40th and havoc allowed on offense, 17th and opponent sack rate. That offensive line did its job in protection. And, you know, their quarterback, he, Hardison was, was fantastic at, at, at finding his uh, target or getting rid of the ball. Uh, you know, some, some things that we just have not seen out of UTEP. Deion Hankins is going to get all the, the standard down carries. It's going to be interesting to see if, if Dana Dimmel sticks with a, you know, really hard rush rate. Uh, and goes really slow like he has in the past, or if he's just going to let Hardison, you know, float it out and throw darts down the field, uh, especially with Jacob Cowing. Jacob Cowing, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, for UTEP, wide receiver, has a chance to be first team all-conference USA. I didn't think that was possible. Problem is he had eight drops last year. Uh, He's got to improve there. I think that was about a 16% drop percentage that he had. UTEP has a, a, a real decent defensive front seven. Praise Amawahu uh, at edge and, and Keenan Stewart at tackle. Uh, both of them are going to be really good in Conference USA. So, yeah, UTEP is the play. The 10 just kind of yeah, – I, I would definitely be on 10 and not 10 and a half. It's just this offense is so freaking slow that if they need a fourth-quarter drive to cover the spread – I'm not really sure how New Mexico State's going to score. The clock score. just might run out. The clock is yeah, the, run out. Yeah, but, yeah, Dana Dimmel has no problems just running clock out here and, and getting uh, uh, any victories of victory for him. Covering is, is not really that big of a deal. So suggestion, uh, number's about right. I lean on the UTEP side. Uh, this number, I think what's interesting for everybody in the market is that this number has taken off for the total on the over. Now, that is something that I've been investigating all day about why it's gone up above 57 uh, 59 at a few shops. And if this gets to 60, I don't know how you're not playing the under here, but for some reason, this number is taking off first half total, I believe open 20. Well, probably because New Mexico state can't show that they can't stop a nosebleed. I mean, they gave up 500 yards and 43 points to Tarleton state. That's the worry here. 
Well, what does it matter if UTEP is competing in the Olympics in the, what is it, the steeplechase where they're walking? Like, they're not running? Like, I, I, I don't, I, UTEP can't even, even if they had an empty field, I think they would, you know, only be able to, you know, score a touchdown once every six minutes. So I think that's my only worry is, <laughs> I mean, the total keeps going up, but I'm not sure UTEP uh, is really that fast of an offense and explosive enough to uh, to get a total that high. So I'll be I'll be looking for an under. I don't know. I'm sure if I'm going well, to play. I mean, how how slow can you go if you just hand it off and then run for an 80 yard touchdown? That's my uh, <laughs> that's my only concern. Here. How bad? Yeah. How bad is uh, the New Mexico State defense? All right. So minor nation, I'll be, I'll be on you somehow. I might just throw you into a fun parlay money line parlay um, to celebrate the day. I'll find a way to be on you. All right. Before we move on to a couple of segments to close out here, quick word from our friends at WinBet, who have a great sign up offer for our listeners, new WinBet. Patrons who open an account in Indiana, New Jersey, Tennessee, or Virginia and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $500. And for new accounts in Colorado and Michigan, Colorado, Michigan, that risk-free first bet is up to $1,000. It's $1,000 risk-free bet. That's probably more than Zaxby's is paying JT Daniels. So again, all you have to do is open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days. That bet is risk-free, up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, just click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's move on to my favorite segment. It's the first of the year. Let's do some FCS or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC Yes or No. All right, now we're going to be quick here because, I mean, it's the first week of the season. I mean, it's hard enough to try and project some of these FBS teams, but there are a couple FCS matchups. I'll just talk to one real quick. San Jose State's a 23-point favorite over Southern Utah. Southern Utah, look, they're just a, a, you know, an, average big sky team they went one and five in the spring but pretty misleading record all five losses were single possession and four were by combined seven points so they were right there i like some of the pieces on their defense but san jose state should win this game comfortably the problem is how much will they care and then how much will they keep their foot on the gas in the second half san jose state goes to usc next week they do need to break in two new receivers they lost their top two receivers speaking of san jose state so maybe they want to see what the offense looks like, try to get some rhythm with Starkle and his new receiving core in live action. Another thing that kind of gets in my head is Brent Brennan, you know, he, and he said multiple freshmen are going to see the field. So I think that he does want, you know, hopefully they, if they build a big enough lead, they're going to get some second and third teamers in there. But a couple of years ago, San Jose State in 2018, week two, they were playing the Pac-12 team. Week one, they were playing – a big sky team in UC Davis and UC Davis beat them uh, at home. Now that was a team, San Jose State team that won one in 11. This is a San Jose State team coming off an undefeated regular season, but you know, I'm sure that he's hammering home that point to be ready for this game. Don't get caught looking ahead to USC, which I'm sure some of them might be, but if I see some signs of life from Southern Utah and, you know, San Jose State builds a, you know, let's say a, a three, three touchdown lead or more, 
at halftime. I'll look Southern Utah in the second half because I fully expect San Jose State to just not show anything. Let's stay healthy. You know, they have a, a brutal Mountain West schedule. They go to USC next week. Uh, and then I just expect the the second half to just be very conservative, maybe an underlook as well. Uh, so that's my FCS look for the week. Like I said, as the season goes on, we will have much more FCS info. It's always my favorite segment. And we'll have loaded segments later in the season. And Tin Horn weekend. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL. And about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man. And we could not stop them. I'm looking forward to. Although that, Alabama plays Mercer next week. <laughs> or in week week two, I think. Alabama plays Mercer. We'll get into that. Yeah, it's really important. To, I mean, if you're not going to bet Southern Utah against San Jose State, which I, I agree with Stuck, I think that you, you know, have to, you'd have to back the Spartans here. And I believe that point spread is probably going to balloon by the time it gets kicked off. But Southern Utah is who Arizona State's going to play in game one. So it's really important you know, to see if Southern Utah is able to generate something through the air because Arizona State's secondary is one of the best in the nation. Uh, so really important there because if Southern Utah can't throw the ball, uh, this is going to be Hammer City on the opener on the Sun Devils. The Thunderbirds. Yeah, and by the way, just something to keep in mind. Teams playing their first game of the season against a team that already played. You know, So last year we saw it a lot because of COVID and teams starting later. But generally speaking, this is a team playing in week one against their first game against a team that already played week zero. That team playing their first game historically has had an edge against the spread. You know, 56, I think 56% against the spread historically. And what that speaks to, I think, is the, you know, you would think maybe intuitively it's the opposite. A team gets to play, they get to shake the rust off, but it's that film edge, right? So you play a game at that team that hasn't played yet. They have nothing on film. They haven't shown anything and they get to see what you did and then adjust while you can't adjust. So keep that in mind for uh, week one. We'll get into that next week as well. All right, before we get out of here, we do have a lot of recapping to do for win totals and futures. So let's go three and out. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, we'll do one win total per conference max. If you end up saying a couple others, so be it. Uh, Make sure you check out Action Network app for all of our win totals, which we've logged. Uh, I'll start. I'll run down real quick. AAC, SMU over six. I'd still like it at six and a half. This team is loaded on offense. A top 25 receiving room, top 25 running back group, and a top 25 offensive line. They do lose their quarterback, but Tanner Mordecai from Oklahoma comes in. They also have a very talented freshman in Preston Stone. And where I think they're going to improve the most is on the defensive side of the ball. They bring in Jim Levitt from Florida Atlantic, one of my favorite defensive quarters. I think he's going to plug up some of the holes, and I think his philosophy fits well with this uh, aggressive mindset defense that likes to you know turn teams over, and it's pretty aggressive by nature. They just need to Plug up some holes. I think Levitt will do that. Moving on to the ACC, Georgia Tech, under five wins, under four and a half. You know, even money is fine, too. I still think that this is a transition period for Georgia Tech. This is almost like year one and a half, right? You're changing from a triple option offense, changing everything, splits, and all of your recruits are for the triple option. And then you have to do that. And then you have a COVID year. I think it's still a work in progress. They play five teams on their schedule that have serious college football aspirations, Georgia tech under pack 12, uh, big 10. Let's go to the big 10. 
Indiana under eight, under seven and a half wins. I like this team, but the schedule is brutal. I think that there's some negative aggression coming for the Hoosiers who last year just won a couple too many coin flip games, turnover regression, red zone regression, pretty much everything went their way. I can see that flipping this year. And that's assuming Penix stays healthy. He's had three season ending surgeries. We'll see if he can play all 12 games. Pac-12 favorite there. I'll say, uh, let's go with the Utah over. Best offensive line, best defensive line in the Pac-12. That plays. You bring in a quarterback, Charlie Brewer from Baylor. He's just a winner. Uh, this defense is much more experienced. Played way better than I thought last year after losing so much talent. They'll be nasty. Utah has an identity. Uh, they might be favored, I think, in 11 games this year. Utah over eight and a half. I think the juice is getting up there, but I'd still pay for it. SEC, Bama under 11 and a half. It's just a numbers play. I make it 10 and a half. You know, a lot of change on the offensive side of the ball. I think they end up dropping one of these road games, either at Auburn to close the year, at Florida, or most likely at Texas A&M. In the MAC, let's go NIU under. This team is just way too young and have way too many holes, and Rocky Lombardi is not the solution at quarterback. Big 12 will go TCU over. Uh, I think you know they lost some talent up the middle in that defense, particularly at linebacker and safety, but I think they'll plug those holes fine. Gary Patterson's defense will be fine. I expect a big jump on the offensive side of the ball with Max Duggan. Uh, that offensive line I expect to be better. Ver- talent all over. TCU goes over their win total. Sunbelt, Louisiana under, nine and a half. This team basically went five and one in coin flips last year. Made a 53-yard field goal to win one game. You know, had a 30-yard field goal missed uh, by App State in another. I mean, just, you know, beat Georgia State in overtime. I mean, every coin flip game went their way. I think they're really going to miss their two backs. You know, if they lose at Texas and at Liberty, they basically have to run the table to get the 10 wins. This is an improved Sunbelt Conference top to bottom, in my opinion, under nine and a half for Louisiana. Mountain West, Boise under. I, I just it's a it's a tough schedule. And I, there's just I don't trust the offensive line still. The quarterback play is a little too inconsistent. I just think it's a tad too high. And finally, we have to save the best for last. Independence. I'm going UMass over one and a half wins. Pay the minus 150. They have four winnable games on their schedule against a number of teams who didn't play last year. We talked about how bad New Mexico State is. That's their road game. You know, they have home home game against UConn, who didn't play last year. Uh, and then they have two more home games against FCS teams that didn't play last year uh, in Maine and uh, Yale. Somebody, I don't know. Maine and Rhode Island, I think. UMass is going over, baby. So those are my favorite win totals. Colin, what you got? Yeah, just to be real quick, I'm going to start off in the AAC like you did. I'm going to go South Florida on the under. Jeff Scott has the new head coach. He came in as the offensive coordinator from Clemson, uh, kind of in a co-offensive coordinator role, and it has just not worked out there whatsoever. Their quarterback, Jordan McLeod, has transferred off. This is a team that was 106th in offensive success rate, uh, 125th in offensive finishing drives. This is supposed to be Jeff Scott's specialty, and South Florida somehow has gotten worse at that. They return so much less than the national average in the year of the super senior. Uh, the number, I think, is good till three. 
Uh, three and a half, three, two and a half under. I, I I don't see a lot of wins on this schedule whatsoever for them. Surprise team in the ACC for me is going to be NC State. I love the Wolfpack this year. Devin Leary, explosive playmakers in the backfield and wide receiver, a defense that is absolutely legit. Uh, the schedule is super tough, but that doesn't mean that there isn't value in the number. Uh, even though I project them around seven, I still think that they're going to go over uh, 90% of their defense returns uh, scheme from second year defensive coordinator. Uh, Tony Gibson is, is just been fantastic last year. He exceeded expectations and I continue consider that is going to continue to grow uh next i'm going to move on to the big 10 we just talked about them on this podcast i'm going to take illinois to go over i mean it's a number that i projected 4.1 uh bielema <laughs> there may be a ceiling on brett bielema but that doesn't mean that he's not a good coach and that doesn't mean that he can't establish an identity build something in the trench and overpower teams. And you could do that against some, you know, non-conference play. You could do that against some of the teams in the big 10. And I think he's going to start off doing that this year. If he can get anything out of Ryan Walters, a new DC uh, to do, you know, be not the last in success rate in defense, then I actually think that Illinois can really do some damage and hang around in some games. We'll find out after Nebraska, if they can get, you know, some established rushing attack with Chase Brown and with Brandon Peters, the quarterback. So moving on from there, I'm going to go to Conference USA. Western Kentucky is still listed at five and a half on the win total. This is the ultimate boom or bust team. Uh, you know, this is a team that was more defensive-minded under Tyson Helton. Ranks top 25 in success rate on defense. Uh, same thing with Havoc. Uh, they've always had on defense. And now they go and get the offensive coordinator, quarterback and wide receivers from Houston Baptist, the team that was able to put up four or five, 600 yards in a box score against teams like Texas Tech and Louisiana Tech and North Texas last year. So now Western Kentucky has both best on both sides, like the win total over. I like them to win the conference. Another team in that same conference that I like, we just talked about them. I like UTEP. They're on the way up. Dana Dimmel, we've waited for this for years. Uh, it's taken him a couple of years to get the right players in place. He has his own style. Uh, he likes to play a bruising attack. He's got a right quarterback with a big arm. Very positive in the, in, in the big-time throws versus the turnover-worthy plays. UTEP is heading in the right direction. They started off getting their first win this weekend. After that, Minor Nation. We're talking Minor Nation. Picks up, guys. I, I got a helmet just for in your guys' name. And I have my uh, shirt. And I have a shirt. We're all in. Yeah, we have our shirt. We're all in on you guys. We're, we're going to be uh, swimming in our money like Scrooge McDuck and down on our mansion on the Rio Grande River. So I'm going to go Independence after that. Uh, Notre Dame under. First play that I hit uh, when, when, when everything hit the board back in, uh, I don't even think it was spring. I think it was the winter. Uh, everything that I've said. Uh, this is a team that returns 44% on offense, 50% on defense. New coordinator on the defensive side. I know he's a pretty good coordinator, but there is a scheme change. Uh, I don't think there's enough explosiveness on the offensive side of the ball, and it doesn't matter because Tommy Rees loves to run the ball as much as possible. Nine is a lot for this team, and what it should be sort of a rebuilding year. Uh, Ten and two seems a little bit out of reach for them. One thing that I am on an island on, the more I look around, I'm on an island on this. I'm taking Oregon on the under. It's a, I project them at eight. The number nine seems a little high for me. I, I know that we talk about offensive returning production and TARP, Transfer activity. Transfer activity was really important to this Oregon team. They lost Tyler Shug. He is now at Texas Tech. And I, every Oregon fan will tell you, well, we have two great freshmen and they're going to take over for Anthony Brown. And, and okay, well, that's a question mark. And Joe Moorhead is going to have to scheme around Anthony Brown and he's going to have to scheme around these new quarterbacks. And I just, there's a ceiling on, on, on two freshmen. There's a ceiling on Anthony Brown. And meanwhile, on the defense, 
while everyone loves Thibodeau as an edge rusher and he should be the number one pick in the NFL draft, they cannot stop the run. And there are a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that can just continue to run up the gut on this defense. So until Oregon solves that problem, Tim DeRuiter is not the answer. Uh, them going 10-2 and two seems a little bit out of reach. Stanford, I, I told everybody on the Pac-12 podcast that I was going to wait until the, you know, until we got towards the start of the season because this number just kept going up. Four and a halfs are sitting out there on Stanford. Under on the trees all the way. Again, this is a team that barely returns anything on both sides of the ball. David Shaw is playing a style of football where he wants to go with more running backs, more tight ends, more of a pro-style play in a conference full of offenses that can have quick strike. Uh, it's not a good fit whatsoever. Uh, there is a lot missing from this team and a lot to be desired, especially on the defensive line side of the ball and in the trenches. They have an all-power five schedule. Kent, uh, Kansas State got whacked a week ago. They were hanging out around plus two. Now Kansas State is minus two and a half in the Oper in Arlington on that fast surface against Stanford. Uh, we'll see how that plays out, but I like Stanford on the under. UCLA over seven, talked about it way too much. Ryan Gunderson, former Broyles nominee, uh, award nominee. Uh, I think he's going to be there to clean up DTR, and we're going to find out this weekend in week zero. South Carolina under, it, I, I don't know what to say, four, three and a half, three. Uh, there's not many winnable games on this schedule. Uh, grad assistant Zeb Noland has come out of his grad assistant role, and he's now going to be quarterback uh, after Luke Doty uh, got hurt, sprained his ankle. Doty should just miss one game, uh, but it doesn't matter. There's just there's not a lot on this team. 53% on offense comes back. 41% of the defense comes back. Shane Beamer in a complete rebuilding project. Next year will be year zero for South Carolina. That's how bad it's going to be. I don't understand the win total whatsoever. Ole Miss, I'm going to take the over, and I love a 15-1 to on winning the West Division. Let's just say college football is leaning more and more towards being an offensive game every single season. Saban realized that seven years ago, and now Lane Kiffin is here to make every single game a boat race, and he wants to have the speediest boat on the water. And that's what he has this year. So I like Ole Miss as a long shot uh, to try to get some things done, especially they could potentially beat Alabama. They were close to doing it last year on a sloppy wet field. So we'll see uh, LSU on the under. Uh, I think eight and a half is a little bit too much. Eight's a little bit too much. It's the number I project in the sevens. News coming out of there uh, just continues to be a little uh, head scratching uh, from a defensive standpoint, uh, from an offensive standpoint. Don't know who's running the ball. Max Johnson, what's behind him from a quarterback perspective. Depth took a hit with Miles Brennan uh, uh, having injury. Uh, lots of questions out of LSU and the fact that they are trying to replicate what happened in 2019 is impossible. The Joe Burrow is not walking through the door. He was one of the most accurate passers of all time. That's not in you know, what you have under center right now. And Joe Brady calling the plays is now in the NFL and being paid handsomely. And you don't have Joe Brady up in the press box. So I'm going to stick with LSU on the under. And my last one is not a win total. It's just that App State is not priced correctly. We'll see what we get out of Chase Bryce. Uh, after well, you, can his... say, you can save that for a second now because we got to go over our favorite futures. Oh, so I'll gonna, stop right I'm going to let you save. I'm going to let you save App State. Phenomenal stuff there. Let's move right into second down. That's our favorite futures. I'm going to go quickly and I have content out there. You can read all about it. Look, long shots. I think worth taking Kent state 14 to one. If it's 10 to one, anything above there wide open conference, their division questions about a lot of their teams, the way that they play offense, they have a shot. It's the Mac. Go read my Mac manifesto. Western Kentucky, Colin already touched on it. Boomer bus team, high variance team in a bad conference. If that offense works out, 
they have a shot. I'm a lot higher on Nevada than I think the rest of the world. And I think the gap between them and Boise is nothing. Uh, plus 500 to win the Mountain West with Carson Strong back. I love. Iowa State futures, get them in somehow. You're going to make the Big 12. I took a shot on them to win the national title. Uh, I think the gap between them and Oklahoma, I, I just love this Iowa State. I think this is the last shot for them, but there's so much to like. Georgia to make the playoff plus 175. Many ways they can get to the college football playoff, starting with a win over Clemson to start the year. They finally have an offense that can match that always stingy defense. Whiskey to win the West. Wisconsin to win the West. I think they're the best team in the division. I think – you know, Mertz is going to be better. And ultimately, they host Iowa. That's And their schedule's easier. That's going to be the difference. I think that's way too cheap at minus 125. Same thing with Washington. I think Washington and Oregon are close to equal. Washington win the North plus 135. They host Oregon. I love that. And uh, Arizona State, I took a shot on to win the Pac-12 because I'm higher on them than most. Uh, and that's it for my future. What do you got? Yeah, from a futures perspective, I just the number is not high enough for what Cincinnati should be priced to win the AAC. I know it's somewhere fluctuating between minus 200 and minus 250. Uh, that is about what the money line is going to be. Remember that the AAC is now like the Big 12. It's a round-robin schedule where the top two teams will play each other. It's no longer divisions where if Cincinnati was to drop a game to Central Florida, that doesn't necessarily knock them out of the championship game. That number, you know, is playable up to minus 250. So in the AAC, that's pretty simple. But the play that I really love in the Big 12 is TCU to make the Big 12 championship game. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but there are props out there for TCU to make the championship game. That has value all the way down to four to one. It's not being priced that way. And they have a perfect hedge because their last game of the season is against Iowa State, a team that everybody has slotted in at number two to go the Big 12 championship game. It's a great way to hedge out of your ticket on TCU. So try to find that, them to go to the championship game. After that, Wisconsin, uh, just the fact that their schedule uh, is a little bit easier than Iowa's. Uh, Minnesota's defense is a huge question mark. Nebraska is one of the bigger question marks in all of college football. The division is there for Wisconsin to take. I know it's uh, a number that's sitting above minus 150, but at the same time, they host Iowa. Uh, so the big games that they need that they have, they'll have them at home. I am a believer in Graham Mertz coming back. I am a believer in Jalen Berger uh, having explosive plays. Western Kentucky down to seven to one is a buy. UTSA for the division in the West. That's not been talked about enough. Sincere McCormick is a legit one of the best running backs in all of college football. Their head coach is on his way to coaching in the SEC or the Big Ten. Uh, they are uh, not talked about enough. I don't think we've given the Roadrunners enough love here. I like them over. I like them to win meep, the meep. West. The UTSA Roadrunners. We're going to be big players on them later this year, especially since they're McCormick outstanding back. I'm going to go Utah and the Pac-12 South. I think the number is finally coming down. Uh, the, you know, it was priced incorrectly for a very long time. They always priced Arizona State correctly at plus 200 to win the South. Utah is finally now getting around that number. If you can find a 250, I think it's worth a little bit of a play. I mentioned Ole Miss at 15 to one to win the West. Of course, that's a hedge against Alabama. Heads up, but the one I like the most that has value is App State at four to one to win the Sun Belt. And this isn't so much me saying that Appalachian State is going to beat Coastal Carolina or beat Louisiana. But if you look at their schedule, there's only one game on that schedule that matters. And that is the Coastal Carolina game to win that division and go to the Sun Belt Championship game. 
And right now, the way they're power rated, not just the Action Network power ratings, you can go to any other power ratings, look, Coastal Carolina and App State are neck and neck in power rating everywhere. So I don't understand why someone like Coastal Carolina would be plus 150 to win the Sun Belt and App State would be plus 400. Uh, they're going to play each other heads up. It's going to be a revenge game from last year. App State made a mistake. Coastal Carolina capitalized. Uh, it's another game that's going to be played this year that's going to be neck and neck uh, within one possession game all the way to the end. So the price really is what's dictating that play. Uh, App State 4-1 to one for the Sun Belt. All right, and then finally, before we get out of here, third down, let's talk favorite week zero bet. Uh, I'll let you start. What's your favorite week zero bet? Yeah, my favorite bet for week zero is going to be the under on Illinois and Nebraska. When you look at these two teams, they're both hell-bent on establishing the run. Brett Bielema-led Illinois team is going to run Chase Brown, Chase Hayden, and a stable of running backs. It doesn't matter field position down a distance they want to establish the run not typically very fast uh this is a team that wasn't very good in rushing success rate last year so it's going to be a slow paced probably not move the chains very much could be a lot of punts and then you look at the nebraska side they want somebody other than adrian martinez to run the ball yes adrian martinez is their best weapon but he's also fumbled over 35 times in three years they have a stable of running backs and nobody has really stood out from a USC transfer to some of the in-house recruits that they have, they're going to run through their entire stable of running backs to figure out who is going to run the ball other than Adrian Martinez. I expect this to be a very slow-paced game. It's being played in the day during the sun while some of these teams have been practicing at night. There's crosswinds going on for special teams usage. I like under 55 here. I'd play it down to 54. Yeah, I agree. I like the under there. I think that Look, the Nebraska offense, you lose Wondell Robinson. I have questions about who they're throwing it to. You have three freshmen starting on the offensive line. Illinois side, their wide receivers are very underwhelming. I think the Nebraska defense, which is the strength of this team, uh, can, you know, linebacker, their, their secondary is excellent, can really match up here. I do have some nightmares about last year when Illinois just handed it off 52 times and ran for 300 yards on route to a, a pretty easy victory. But I think Nebraska's defense will show up for this game. I think it'll be slower paced. Don't expect much from either passing attack. So I agree. I like under 55. Two other quick looks. I do think that there's value on UTEP. Minor Nation under 10 against lowly New Mexico State, who's the worst team in FBS by far. And maybe take a look at Southern Utah for the second half. If San Jose State is blowing this game open, there's a good chance they just take their foot off the gas and rest all their starters with USC on deck. Y'all have to see some life from Southern Utah. Maybe a, a, an under, a lot, a second half under is also worth a look. But I agree. I think my favorite bet of the weekend is under 55 in Nebraska. What better way to kick off the season than the sweat and under and then bet uh, UTEP as a, a nine and a half, 10 point road favorite? So we'll end it there. Thanks to now our colleague, Brett McMurphy. Thanks as always to Colin Wilson and. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Big Bets on Campus, brought to you by WinBet. Wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a review. We have a bunch of giveaways coming. There were some awesome reviews. Uh, and I have about eight names listed. We'll do them next week. If you leave a great review, I'll probably add you to the list. We'll send you gear and prizes. But tell a friend, tell an enemy. We appreciate all of your support. It's time for us to continue to get to work because we'll be back next week with a week one preview you thought this was a lot wait till next week <laughs> enjoy your weekends enjoy the college football we'll catch y'all later cheers peace out <laughs>